This is the Savvy Parent Podcast, where lawyer and financial planning expert Shannon McNulty and her guests share tips on how to make smart legal and financial decisions for your family. On this episode of the Savvy Parent Podcast, we're joined again by our host, Shannon McNulty, New York lawyer, to discuss a critical part of your estate plan, guardianship. Choosing a guardian is something you don't want to overlook because even though we hope another guardian will never be needed, you don't want your children to be left in a worst case scenario without a plan for who will become their guardian. Shannon discusses the roles that the guardian will take on, what you need to document, what should be communicated to those who agree to be guardians, and some of the more nuanced situations, like single parents with sole custody, what to do when you have a child with special needs, or how to handle guardianship when the person you choose is outside of the United States. Choosing a guardian is a big decision, and Shannon helps clarify how you can go about this and what you need to do so that it's done legally. Enjoy the episode. We are back for another episode of the show. Shannon, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks, Sarah. How are you doing? Good. I'm excited, and I feel like a little nervous to talk about today's topic because I think this is one that uh, parents care a lot about and have a lot of questions about. So we are doing a deep dive into the area of the state plan, which is guardian of your children in the event that something happens to us as parents. So again, a little stressful, but very important topic. So can you just start with explaining what guardianship is and why it's so important to have covered well? Sure. So any person who's under any child under the age of 18 must have a legal guardian. Um, Anyone who's under the age of 18 is considered incompetent to make legal decisions for themselves, make medical decisions for themselves. And so someone has to, is responsible for doing that for them and taking care of them. If there is no guardian, a state, the state will appoint one for the child. So that's sort of where you get into, it's really important to make sure that somebody who you want to be the guardian of your child is the guardian of your child. And it's not somebody who is, say, appointed by the state or somebody else who you wouldn't want to be caring for your child. I'm sure all cases are different, but when the state does appoint someone, if they have to do that, is this a member of your family? Is this the court? Like who would, who would possibly get um, guardianship over your child if someone is not named, assuming there's not a, a spouse or a close family member, who would that be? Yeah. So in worst case scenario, it's your child goes into foster care. So they go into state custody. You know, I will say that's not a common scenario, uh, but it is the scenario of last resort. So there are times when um, if a guardian is not there, if they cannot be there, if there is nobody there, you know, some some people don't have someone else to step in, then uh, then that's unfortunately what, what happens. Ooh, I think that's every parent's worst nightmare, along with having to leave your child with the need for a new guardian. So we'll get into how you can make these decisions, but how do you make sure that your choice of guardian is documented legally? So you've made the decision, you know who you want it to be. How do you make sure it's legal and therefore followed in the event something happens to you? So the key document that we use to designate a guardian is your will. And you can also use a separate document if you don't have a will. Uh, but that's the the key document usually that would be used to determine what your wishes are if your child was in need of a guardian, if you had passed away. And then that is submitted to the court and whoever is designated to, to, to serve as the guardian, they would petition for guardianship. 
from the court. And then if all goes well, then that person would be appointed as the guardian. Got it. Now, if we have any parents panicking and thinking, okay, I don't have the will, I'll get to it, but I just want to have it documented. Who will take my kids? Is this as simple as you can type it up and get it notarized? Or is this a a more formal documentation that needs to take place? It should be notarized and witnessed by, it should be, have two witnesses and the witnesses should be notarized. So uh, I, I would say it's probably, it's too important to leave to chance. That being said, it's better than nothing. So right. if you don't, aren't able to get to a lawyer, if it's an emergency, you know, if you don't have the resources to visit a lawyer, having at least something typed up or even handwritten with your signature is, is really important. And then I'll also say that just as important is just talking to somebody who would fill that role. So I would say almost even more important is talking to whoever it is, a sibling, a cousin, a parent, and saying, if something did happen to me, I would want, you know, please take care of my child. And this is, you know, what what you would have to do. So those are kind of the, that, that I would say is, is, just as important as having it legally sort of like documented. Absolutely. So now the guardian that you do choose has two general roles, right? Making decisions for the child and financially supporting the child. Can you clarify these roles a little bit more and what parents can expect a guardian to do? Sure. So the guardian, there's sort of two kinds of guardianship. One is the guardianship of the person and the guardianship of the person, the guardian of the person is the person who is charged with making everyday decisions for the child, that's usually who the child lives with. They would make decisions about what school the child attends, um, what kind of medical care they got. So those are, that would be considered the guardian of the person. And then we have also what's called the guardian of the estate. The guardian of the estate could be the same person as the guardian of the person, but it refers to the person who is responsible for administering the assets for the child. So if there are assets in the child's name, then the uh, the guardian would be the one who would be responsible for making sure that they were managed correctly. That being said, there are some drawbacks to having a guardian of the estate. And the big one is that you have to report to the court. In New York, you'll have to do that every year. It's a public record for the guardian of the estate. So Often I just, I don't, I, that's the last thing I want to do is leave assets directly to a child because they're going to end up with this guardian of the estate situation where the court is involved for up to 18 years. And that can be very burdensome on the person who's managing both the, the child and the assets. So we really want to uh, generally avoid that. Okay. And then, so in that case, where do the assets go? How does it make sure that the assets do ultimately benefit the child without going directly to them and having to be um, overseen in a way that does involve the court? There's two ways. So one is that you would leave it to a trust for the child. And that's what I I would usually recommend. And then the other way is to leave it to a custodian. And we'll we'll probably have like another episode on this because it can get really go into a rabbit hole with it. But but it is sort of important to understand that, that you can have a guardian of the assets, but it's not the best way to arrange things. Okay. That's good to know. So going back to the actual guardian, I know that you work with single parents. So what options do they have? Obviously, they, 
they may not be with the other biological parent. So there may be some questions or concerns about leaving guardianship to the other biological parent. Is that the only option or or what happens in that case? Yeah, this is a question I get a lot, especially from with single parents who have often have full custody and for good reason. Because for maybe the uh, the other parent was, let's say the father, but it could be the mother as well. It could be that they were emotionally abusive, physically abusive, um, a, a number of things. So in that case, often the custodial parent does not want to leave the child to the other, have the other child take over um, custody of the child. The other parent take over custody of the child if something were to happen to the custodial parent. And unfortunately, it's really hard to avoid that situation. As a default, the, the court will really pres- prefers to have a, a biological parent um, or could be an uh, adoptive parent as the, the guardian. So it's almost like you don't even have a guardian proceeding in most cases if there's another parent there because they would... T- just by default become the guardian. But in cases where there has been abuse, maybe uh, there's some kind of addiction involved, then there are cases where the other parent may not be suitable. And in those cases, then the judge may appoint someone else, a guardian as, you know, in addition to to having the parent. Um, And so in those cases, what I say is what we need to do, we we can put somebody else down and what we need to do is put as much documentation as we can behind this. So often in these cases, there has been divorce proceedings or some kind of child custody proceedings, and there is some kind of documentation of abuse or other kind of wrongdoing. And I say, make sure that that information, those documents are available to whoever you're choosing to uh, serve as your guardian so that if they have to take the fight, to this other parent, then they have that information to do so. Uh, and also, whoever you're picking, you're choosing to be the guardian in that scenario, you want to pick somebody who's going to fight. So you want to pick somebody who is going to feel very strongly, just as you do, that this other parent is not suitable and that they really, really should not have custody of the child because they're going to have to go through. Uh, if the other parent does want custody, then that guardian is going to have to go through a lot of legal procedures and headaches and burden to try to be able to be the guardian. So if that is the case, you want somebody who's really going to you know, take the fight to that person and would be really protective of your child. Absolutely. Oh, this all feels so stressful. So we'll get into choosing in just a moment. But first, can you take us through exactly what happens upon the death of one or I guess both of the parents in terms of when there's children left behind, how does this all happen and go into place so that guardianship transfers to this person that you've chosen? So ideally, what we've done, if we do the planning correctly, is we have not only your will, but we also have what's known as a standby guardianship document. And a standby guardianship document is uh, basically a temporary guardianship appointment that does not require the appointment of a judge. So any long-term guardian is going to be need, need to be appointed by the court. But a standby guardian can go into effect immediately. They could take custody of your children immediately. 
and then that's valid for 60 days. So what you want is for somebody automatically to have custody of your kids if you know there's nobody else to if you're you and the other parent are are not able to be be there for the child if you're either incapacitated or if you've passed away you want somebody to be able to take custody immediately in legal custody and it's that's important because it can take some time for the court to act uh, so in terms of you have to get a lawyer and then the lawyer has to file the documents to petition for the guardianship the, the court has to approve the guardian so you want to make sure that there's somebody in, in the interim who could take care of the child also if your guardian is far away, you want somebody who's close by who can autom- be there immediately. And in that case, then the standby guardian would take, take custody. If you don't have a standby guardian, between that time that you're not there and the time that a court appoints someone, then your kids may not, be with, may not have a guardian at all. And that's where it can get really dicey and you could end up with the, they end up in police custody end up in the state foster care. Um, But in most cases, if you have somebody there who can be there right away, then they can do an emergency guardianship and the the child is not going to be taken. But I will say that it's, you know, there are cases where the child can be at school, the child can be at an after school activity. And in those cases, there are only certain people who those organizations will release the child to, right? So if there's no parent there and there is nothing, there is no other guardian, there's no standby guardian, they can't release the, the child to a grandparent. They can't release the child to a, you know, an aunt or uncle. And so just because of legal liability, they're going to call Child Protective Services. And so that's where you, know, you, you really, your kids could end up in a really bad situation. Yeah, that seems really important, that standby guardianship, especially because this could come into play, like you said, if someone is incapacitated, right? If there's an accident, you you need someone to be able to take your kids right away, even if we're not talking them needing a long-term guardian because you've passed away. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. So many decisions. So how, so let's get into this piece of how do you decide? This is a huge task to figure out who would take your kids in the event that something does happen to you? So how do you suggest families go about making this decision? What do they need to consider? We have a blog post we're going to link for people because this is such a huge piece, but what can you share with us today about it? So often, sometimes there's a couple of different scenarios. So sometimes people don't have anybody obvious to do it. And so that's a hard situation because then you're really struggling to say, okay, this could be the worst case scenario with my child because I don't know anybody who obviously would would want to come in and take custody. And that could especially be true if you have like a child with special needs or something like that, where it's it's not an easy task to even or an easy request to ask somebody. So you want to in those cases sort of think outside of the box. So if you don't have family, sometimes you have family and you they're the last people you want to raise them. So in in those cases, you want to think like, are there teachers? Are there how about your children's, um, their friends' parents? Are there other people in your neighborhood who really like kids that maybe, you know, and hopefully this will never, this will never be a situation that you you even, you know, that would ever come to be. But having at least having a conversation with somebody and say, you know, I just don't have anybody. Would you mind? Like, is this something that I can like, 
feel like you could you could do if God forbid something happened to me. And you know, most people are going to say that's fine because they wouldn't want a child to be left without any parents. And it's an unlikely scenario, and it's such a terrible scenario that often, you know, that that person really people will stop up. You know, like they they really will. So I would say if you if it's hard for you to come up with somebody, do think outside the box of who else. Like I said, teachers, anybody who's even nannies that that might be able to fill that role. And then the other scenario is when you have an abundance of blessings, right? You have a lot of people who would love to take your child. And the problem is deciding among all of these wonderful people. And often the one parent has a whole lot of wonderful people on their side who they think would be perfect. And then the other parent has a whole lot of wonderful people on their side who they think would be perfect. And so that's often what we have in terms of like the struggle to figure out which one of those is the best people. And what I suggest is that you make a list. So often it's, you know, it's two different people, but both the parents are disagreeing. And so what I suggest is you make a list of what is important to you, location important to you. And that might not be so important if it's a young child, if it's an infant, but it might be really important if the child is, 13 because they were already in their community and their friends and they have the school and they, they want somebody who would be, be close. Is it important to you that they're with family? Uh, is it important that they be raised with certain traditions, certain moral values, certain political values? All of these things are things that kind of go into this decision. But the personality is of the, the guardian are they going to, you know, how, how, what their financial situation is like? Do they have other kids? And so if you can think of it like this ideal guardian, so you have a faceless guardian, what are the qualities that you would want in that guardian or the characteristics that you would want? And then once you're able to agree on those things, then say, okay, let's take a look now at who best fits that profile. And that could kind of take a little bit of the emotion out of it of like, you know, I think my parent is best or I think my sister is best so that you're kind of thinking of it in, in a more abstract notion. And then you could sort of put that profile and see who best fits there. And do you ever list more than one guardian? Is there like a guardian and a backup? I mean, I can't imagine it would make sense to, you know, share guardianship because that would probably be stressful. But is, is there ever a time where you have more than one person or family listed? Yeah. So unless you have a married couple, then, you know, in that case, you might have a joint guardianship, but otherwise it, it's not even having a joint guardianship. Otherwise is it, that's just not even something a court would entertain. So, uh, so in, you could have a backup guardian. So sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, if you would disagree, you would have one person as the primary person, one person as the backup. Also, what I suggest sometimes is that you can have somebody else manage the money. So you can have somebody on the other side of the family dealing with the money and making sure that the child is taken care of from a financial point of view. And that ensures that that parent or that side of the family is involved in the child's life. So Got that it. sometimes is a good way to split things up. Okay. And you, you touched on this briefly, but what else do families need to consider if they do have children with disabilities or if their closest loved ones are out of the U.S.? Maybe some of these situations that are a little bit more complicated. Yeah. So if you have a child with disabilities, one of the things that you want to make sure is one, make sure that there's enough money to take care of them. So you want to have a really hefty life insurance policy in that situation. 
Um, the other thing is making sure you've documented what their needs are when they're the guardian can so that the guardian knows what what they their options are and like what they need to do to take care of them. If there are specific programs, anything that can make it easier for the guardian. So and often maybe you would want somebody who's closer by because they often that child might already be enrolled in special programs or have special people coming in to help them. So you want to probably not disrupt that as as much as you can. And so, or the question about the, if the guardian is not within the United States, I always recommend that you have a backup guardian because while a judge may appoint a guardian who's overseas, um, it will take a much longer time. And sometimes they won't do it in, in the cases where, in most cases they will, if it's, uh, especially if it's like in Western Europe, if it's in a, a country that has a similar sort of rule of law to the United States, but if it's in a country that's war-torn or something, they're, they're not going to do it. But in most cases, they will, if it's a family member, however, and it's the wish of the, ch- the parent, I should say. However, it can take a long time. So in New York, the uh, the guardian in the foreign country, they have to be approved by the children's services agency in that country before a court in the U.S. will appoint them. So the important thing is when you have a foreign guardian, you always want to appoint a U.S. guardian as well. Okay, that makes sense. And you talked about, especially for a child with special needs, that you're documenting certain things like their services and what needs to happen. But regardless of your child, how are parents clarifying that level of detail, you know, whether it's services they get or how money is used? Um, Does that get clarified in the will or is that within the guardianship part as well? So the, you cannot really put restrictions on a guardian. You cannot say my guardian has to take my child to church once a week or that the guardian has to send them to X school. The court doesn't want to be in the business of policing parents or substitute parents in this situation. So the best that you can do is to write a letter to your guardian and outline your wishes. And in most cases, the guardian is going to be welcoming of any kind of guidance of how to raise your child. So it's just a matter of making sure that that guidance is there. And so you want both to have information about the child, like your, your, the values that your child is raised with, um, what type of schooling they want. If they, if you want them to have private schooling, public schooling, religious schooling, anything like that. So those types of, uh, more values based things. And then also what are practical issues that they need to know. So what, even if you don't have a child with special needs, they might have an an allergy that maybe, you know, the guardian doesn't know about, or they're on certain medications. What are the, how are the child's uh, doctors, dentists, things like that. So all of that practical information should be in that letter as well. Got it. Okay. That's very helpful. So as we wrap this up, we've shared so much about guardianship. Anything we haven't covered yet? I think we've, we've covered it all, but I don't, if they have, if anyone has any questions, you can, uh, Ask it in our on the savvyparent.us, and we're always uh, looking for more ideas of of what can be helpful to our readers. So uh, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, definitely let us know. Well, Shannon, thank you so much for your time and your information on such an important topic for parents. 
Thanks, Sarah. It was a pleasure. If you'd like more information about choosing a guardian or other areas of the estate plan, visit us at thesavvyparent.us to find more information and join our free community.